Welcome to Polymathic Being, a place to explore counterintuitive insights across multiple domains. These essays take common topics and explore them from different perspectives and disciplines, and in doing so, come up with unique insights and solutions. Embrace the divergence. Today's topic highlights how you can't just want innovation, you have to think innovation so that you can unlock the true capabilities in your existing systems and chart a course for the stars. This is part one in an envisioned series of insights into innovation. Everyone wants innovation. I mean, everyone knows this is how you solve problems. Every CEO, every leader, every business, every nonprofit, everyone wants cool and new things. But when push comes to shove, these same people who just uttered the goals for innovation then turn and want their teams to focus on the tactical. Ship the next basic feature. Do myopic proofs of concept that don't scale. Don't do the work to retire their tech debt and plan their projects quarter by quarter. They literally say, shoot for the stars, and then turn and stare at their toes. This results in what the Harvard Business Review calls innovation theater. The words are all there, the teams are formed, and then business as usual continues. The thing is, Everyone loves innovation until it creates risk. But innovation is risk, and risk can be managed. A challenge is that every organization has an established and safe status quo, and their organizational and incentive structure is designed to maintain that. No one will say they don't want innovation, but few people in this status quo are willing to take the risk to actually innovate. To challenge this paradigm, the first key to actual innovation is to embrace the divergence. Conformity, specialization, and tactical focus need to be complemented with systems thinkers. You need to recruit the polymaths. You need to let them look five years ahead and across multiple areas. You need tech planning to look in the future for the realm of the possible and the impossible. You need strong systems documentation and a cross-functional focus on retiring that tech debt. You need futurists and you need the rebels. You can't just want innovation. You have to think innovation so that you can unlock the true capabilities in your existing systems and chart that course for the stars. The issue is these innovators are like pirates in the Navy. As the book of the same name documents, these are not the traditional career ladder climbers. They are not the risk adverse. They don't blend in. They aren't safe, and they certainly rock the boat. It's not hard to see why the divergence don't fit in. It's also not hard to see why the status quo of the Navy doesn't change. It takes blending the two together and managing for innovation. Why is it essential to manage innovation? Because innovation is the structured, disciplined, and intentional execution of ideas in a chaotic and noisy opportunity space. It has to be disciplined because aligned to the scientific method, innovation must be replicatable, repeatable, and collaborative. Innovation also has to be managed because it just doesn't happen on its own. This is evidenced by a McKinsey study where they found that while 84% of CEOs said that innovation was essential to future success, only 6% were satisfied with their performance and 80% recognized that they had to change the way they were managing their business. For innovation to really succeed, we recognize the need to think differently. And bringing in the divergence, the pirates, the rebels, is how you do that. 
Proper integration requires different management techniques and the active creation of structures that support both the Navy and those pesky pirates. Therefore, let's explore a few ways to achieve innovation by first, focusing on the organization alignment, and second, focusing on the people. Organization and alignment are essential. You have to accept that you'll have to think differently and do differently. But that doesn't mean throwing out the structure. It means adapting it slightly. For example, don't create innovation silos. Stay connected to the organizations that will use and scale the innovation and to those other innovators in separate fields. In this way, you'll capture ideas that might solve your needs from a totally different discipline. And you should expect your polymaths to already be doing this as well. Ensure strategic alignment. Understand the ultimate customer needs and align products and opportunities towards achieving new activities. This is a push and pull function. Shipping features does not preclude developing something no one ever imagined. Agree on process alignment. Intentionally determine how the innovation process will align into the traditional execution process within the business. Dutifully manage the gray zone handoff between the innovation teams and the dedicated product line teams. Next, start looking at the incentive structures. When you see non-innovative behavior, look at the reward structure because people behave in line with how they are rewarded. For example, there often seems to be a disconnect between executives' drive for innovation, the teams who are doing the innovation, and the permafrost of middle managers. Yet, these managers represent the incentive and success metrics that these executives are really holding them accountable for, such as executing and delivering core products, demonstrating consistent results to traditional metrics, driving to execute over imagining and envisioning, a lack of tolerance to answer the difficult questions of why, where defined and discrete execution is valued over ill-defined and messy problem-based definition, and where merit and bonus structures do not reward risk or failure. That last bullet is the hardest to accept and change. What if we totally reconceptualize the concept of failure because a paradox emerges where avoidance of failure often begets even worse failure. Systems acceptance testing is a great example. We test in order to prove the system will work. We want to pass this test. And if the incentive is high enough to avoid failure, we will often design the test in a way that increases the probability it will pass, even if it reduces the probability that the system will work as desired. I've seen this as the root cause in many actual system failures which passed the acceptance test. But what would happen if we applied the rule of hypothesis testing from statistics? You don't test to prove it right. You test to prove it wrong and only fail to reject the null hypothesis if you can't prove it wrong. Likewise, instead of testing to pass, what if the outcome was a decision? Do we go with design A or switch to design B. If design A fails, that answers the question. It also helps to reduce the risk of passing something that shouldn't because we aren't married to design A passing. We want to ensure the best design makes it. We need to look at aligning our incentives to reward risk and rethink and stop penalizing failure.
Managing and aligning the organization and the incentives sets the foundation for improved innovation, and already we are challenging the status quo with even these concepts. This makes us a little bit of a rebel, but it prepares us for the next topic of unlocking innovation through the effective management of the people. As we introduced the innovators, we called them divergent, pirates, and rebels. They don't quite fit in, and they certainly won't fit in if they're expected to think like the rest. As we covered in a previous essay, Investigating Personality Proclivities, that we shouldn't expect from others what we expect from ourselves. The vast majority of the middle managers and general employee groups are sensing and conscientious, with lower levels of openness and lower risk tolerance than the innovators. For example, intuitive personality types from the Myers-Briggs personality test make up less than 25% of this population, especially in STEM fields, yet these are the thinkers you need on your team. For example, my personality is highly intuitive, very open, moderately conscientious, willing to be disagreeable, and almost no anxiety about it. Makes sense why I'm a polymath, but in the eyes of leadership, I'm a bit of a divergent, pirate, and rebel, but I and people like me have the best intentions. The drive to learn and improve and the desire to collaborate. All of the things, along with innovation, that everyone says they want. So how can you manage it? First, don't expect from others what you expect from yourself. Recognize the divergence aren't thinking of things in the same way. Give them space to ideate. Understand that they often like to puzzle out loud with incomplete ideas. Expect that they'll draw from what appears to be highly disparate areas and then watch them weave it together. The website Rebels at Work beautifully captures what rebels want from their bosses. Number one, we're not troublemakers. We are motivated to make our organization better. Number two, we care. We care about work more than anyone else. That's why we're willing to engage in a conflict. Number three, we need an environment where it is safe to disagree and challenge the status quo. Number four, love our differences and quirks. We may not be like you, and that's a good thing. Number five, challenge us. Give us the thorniest problems. Let us prove our wild ideas at work. We want to be stretched. Number six, don't give us lip service. Tell us as it is. Number seven, coach us on how to navigate the organizational politics so we avoid making mistakes. Number eight, rebelliousness is a positive behavior. It is an act of courage and risk-taking. And nine, appreciate us and we'll move mountains for you. Ironically, I posted an infographic of these nine things on LinkedIn while at a previous company and mentioned that I was currently dealing with the negative side of this at work without even naming the company. And subsequently, I had to have a conversation with HR because they worried it would besmirch their name. I had to edit the post and remove any association. I literally gave them the instruction manual for how to work with me and my middle management attempted to put me in their comfortable, riskless box. Is it any wonder why only 6% of CEOs are satisfied with their innovation? Another example was a manager I had who during an architecture review, mentioned the need to look at ways to allow more advanced capabilities in the future. I pulled up a couple slides that I had thrown together as a side thought a few weeks before and shared the concept. You'd think I had horns on my head. 
First, he wanted to know why I had spent so much time on the idea. Then, he pushed back because it couldn't happen until next year. And last, he questioned why we'd even look at it now when the goal of this re-architecture didn't include this. At this point, I was wondering if he had the horns because it only took me about 10 minutes to put the idea together. Next year isn't far off. And if we designed our architecture with this in mind now, we wouldn't have to go back in a year and rip it out and replace it again. Clearly, this is an example of the challenges with innovation. What is most important to emphasize here is that divergence shouldn't represent chaos. This is where managing innovation is essential to ensure it's the blend of pirates and rebels with the rest of the organization. It's not an either or, but a yes and. And this sounds a lot like our quantum superposition problem from before, doesn't it? Fundamentally, managing the people is balancing the thinkers with the doers, grounding the visionaries with the pragmatics, and empowering the visionaries to challenge the pragmatics. It also means that we have to accept that while everyone wants innovation, not everyone has the mindset or the inclination to be the ones doing it. And that's okay. The world is a beautiful mix of different personality types with different skills and different interests. It's also helpful to recognize that the innovators are sometimes not great at the work needed to actually produce the product. It isn't a strength or a weakness. It's a yin and a yang where the strength is a combination of skills between personality types. Talking about innovation is easy. Actually innovating means diversity, discipline, and risk. It's about creating a positive tension of personalities and surrounding it with a structure that organizes, directs, and establishes discipline. It requires aligning incentives to reward risk and failure, if we even still want to think about it like that. In this way, we can go from wanting innovation to thinking innovation, and we can lift our eyes from our feet and shoot for the stars, all while enjoying the diversity of thought those divergents, rebels, and pirates bring to the mix. We'll conclude here with the poem from Apple's Think Different campaign. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them, because they change things. They push the human race forward. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Thanks for listening to Polymathic Being. We'd love for you to subscribe on Substack at polymathicbeing.substack.com where you can read, comment, and share these essays.